0: You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time. I'm Andrew Kingsley, co-podcasting alongside Drew Kaiser, and we are in our third episode on the book of Daniel today. And it is, I have no idea when you're listening to this, except for we can be sure you're not listening to it live, because we still got some work to do. we got to finish this, publish it, put it on the internet. But right now, it's like March 8th, we're in Alabama, and the weather's amazing outside today. I'm feeling pretty good today. Uh, I think Drew, though, has had the misfortune of being cooped up in the office for most of the day thus far.
1: Yeah. The social aspects of this podcast, (laughs) I may not be very good at for the first few minutes. I don't think I've talked to anybody since like 8 o'clock this morning.
0: Well, it's... Now you're getting a good change of pace now because we can. Oh yeah, we can talk and hopefully it's just so nice outside. You got to be in a good mood. I mean, you're probably listening outside. to this though. The people listening to this will probably listen to it on a day when it's snowing, like yeah, freezing in 2035. rain. Yeah, two thousand thirty-five. Yeah, if internet's still even around by then. But back to uh, the important stuff here. We're in the third chapter of Daniel, and last week we covered. Uh, Chapter 2, obviously. We covered uh, Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. uh, and Then Daniel was promoted. So where we left off, we have already talked about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being carried off from Jerusalem into Babylon. And they have become pretty prominent in their new position. At the end of chapter 2, verse 49, it says, Daniel made a request to the king. This is after Daniel interpreted the dream, so the king really liked him. Um, Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, and Daniel remained at the king's court. And that really sets the scene, I guess, for chapter 3 today, where we're going to get into the story everybody knows.
1: The fiery furnace.
0: Right. And, Drew, you've got our outline.
1: There is... There is, by the way, a connection between chapter 2 and 3, besides Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that is a statue. And maybe we'll discuss that a little later. But it's just interesting, you know, that chapters 2 and 3 are all about statues from different perspectives and two different statues, one not even a real statue. Uh, But that kind of ties the two things together. Another thing that ties them together, chapters 2 and 3, is there seems to be this kind of template in the first part of Daniel where first you have a conflict between God's people and the kingdoms of the world, and then at the end of the crisis you have a promotion, conflict promotion. Mm -hmm. So you see that with um, Daniel 1. There was a conflict about what they would eat, and then a promotion at the end as it turned out God's people were right. Chapter Mm 2, conflict over... Who's going to interpret the king's dream? Lives are threatened. At the end of the crisis, Daniel gets promoted. Um, Spoiler alert, Daniel 3 is going to be the same way. Conflict promotion.
0: Similar to what happens to Daniel in chapter 6, also with the lion's den. Yes. Very similar overall plot of this chapter.
1: Yeah, very similar. And uh, after Daniel 6, well, the hinges come off, but... I'm looking forward to that, but I'm going to take my time getting there. Uh, Now, in Daniel 3, it's a story, and so we're just going to kind of go through it in a narrative way. And as Andrew said, everybody knows the story just about. Probably all of our listeners know the story. Um, It begins with King Nebuchadnezzar, again, same king we had last chapter. But instead of dreaming about a statue, he builds one out of gold Its height is 60 cubits, its breadth 60 cubits, and he set it up on the Plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So this is a big statue. It's stated no less than six times that he set it up on the Plain of Dura, and um, this thing was, um, we don't know exactly how tall it was because cubits can vary, but Mm. it was something like 90 feet tall. And nine feet wide, that's thats a big gold statue.
0: Like a nine-story building.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So think of a hotel.
1: Right, <laughs> uh, just unbelievable. And, you know, even if it were gold-plated, and the text doesn't suggest that it's gold-plated only, I mean, it, you wonder if there's enough gold in the world to do this thing solid, but... Even if it we're just gold plated, it would have been the modern equivalent of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And so um, Nebuchadnezzar is building this, and you learn a little bit about his character here, and it's not good. Um, he reminds me of several dictators we have in the world today who are living in, you know, nice palaces, and they have all of the comforts of life, and their people just a few blocks away from their palace are starving to death. And mm-hmm. there's a there's a verse in Daniel 4, which we haven't gotten to yet, but in Daniel four twenty seven, Daniel is still talking to Nebuchadnezzar, this same guy, and he says, "...therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed," in other words, "...mercy to the poor." That there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. That suggests that instead of helping poor people, he was building useless statues to glorify himself. Yep. And so um, he had this, you know, he seems to have religious convictions at times, but spiritually there was nothing going on inside. He'd go through the motions, he'd do the rituals. Yeah. He would uh, say what he needed to say, but uh, he was not a spiritual man who believed who um, bowed to God. I, I think he probably had a belief in God after what Mm -hmm. he saw in Daniel 2 and what he's about to see here, but he never seems to really convert, and this is the kind of man that he is. Now, they make a rule about this statue that you read about in verse 4. The herald, that would be the guy that stands in the street corners and the, the city gates shouting the news, he proclaimed aloud, "'You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So there is idol worship here at the very least. Some, it seems natural to assume the statue was representative of him, yeah. but it could have been of one of his gods that he, maybe the Babylonian god Marduk, or somebody else. It, it, the text is not concerned about who's on whose image the statue is. It's more yeah. concerned about the idea that this isn't God that they're bowing down to. Enter in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 8. At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now, the phrase maliciously c- accused, I'm not kidding here, literally means chewed them up. Yeah. Like ate their lunch or something you know, yeah, idiomatic like, uh... like that.
0: Chewed uh, them, chewed their pieces, or something yeah, chewed, like
1: that. Chewed their, ate their pieces. Yeah, chewed the pieces. Which means got their teeth into them, chewed them up. Yeah. Uh, so they did this to the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, "O King, live forever! You, O King, have made a decree that every man who hears, I'm not going to read this list again. I mean, music. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Here's the noise of the mm-hmm. the instruments shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace.
0: Can I ask you a question here real quick? What exactly is a trigon?
1: Um, I have no idea. It's three gons. Three gons? Yeah. Nice, very good. I I don't know what it is. I bet it's beautiful, though.
0: Yeah, I'm just wondering. This either sounds really (laughs) cool or really terrible. Uh, because there's all these different kinds of instruments <laughs> I, listed.
1: Look, you throw a harp and a bag, bagpipe in there together. It doesn't sound good. It's just noise. It's got to be. They're not playing uh, Bach. Yeah, I, I think it's just. Yeah, rrr, yeah probably just it's not. It's a signal.
0: We're gonna try to make this as loud as possible. Yeah. So make just sure play everybody... every instrument we have. They're probably not playing a song. Maybe.
1: No, I don't think so. They're the like national a siren. anthem or anything like that. Yeah, it's a siren. Okay, and then nobody can make the excuse. Well, I didn't hear it. You know, uh, it was loud enough where everybody was supposed to do this could could do it. Hmm. Um, So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are named, and these tattletales say these men, O King, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up, and so they, um, you know, threw them under the bus. Uh, It must have been, you know, the the Bible school pictures that you see is what I picture in my mind, but it might not have been that dramatic where you have this field full of a multitude of Babylonians all Mm -hmm. bowing down, and then you see these three figures standing above the mass. Mm -hmm. That may have been what it was, maybe not. But the motive, they they seem to be as jealous as the men that we read about in chapter 2 are. Of Daniel, yeah. you know these these guys don't pay attention to you. They they are appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You know they they let a little jealousy slip out there, and that seems to be the motive. They're not they don't believe in this image as a god uh, any more than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do. They just kind of want
0: to advance their careers.
1: Yeah, they don't have anything positive in their life like a real god. And they're they're just politicians trying to to get the upper hand and and do that by killing innocent people.
0: Just like the guys in Daniel six at the lion's den. This is what makes it so similar to the lion's den to me, because you have these other these other men coming in like tattletaling. And I know they didn't necessarily orchestrate the image here like they orchestrated the lion's den with Daniel. But it's just interesting to me yeah. that someone comes in and says, Hey, these guys are worshiping God and not you. So it's kind yeah. of a similar, and then they get punished, but they're delivered.
1: Well, and here's another similar similar thing you see in Daniel a lot. Um, Nebuchadnezzar's in furious rage. Verse four, uh, verse thirteen says, and so he brought these men before him, and he said, "Did you you know? In essence, did you not hear the order?" And um, he says, he gives them a chance to do it again, but then he says in verse fifteen, "If you do not worship." you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace and who is the god who will deliver you out of my hands now that question who is the god who will deliver you out of my hands verse 15 is a recurring question but it's really brought into focus here you know this is a contest like Elijah's contest on Mount Carmel we'll see mm-hmm. the false gods pitted against the true and living god and um shadrach meshach and abednego have to Make a make a decision here. Are, are we going going to take this second chance and just you know do this? And you know we may be bowing with our bodies, but not with our hearts. Or are we going to make a stand? So here's what they say in verse 16. They say, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace." And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they had confidence that God, confidence that God could do it, but they were submissive to his will. They, they didn't know if it would be God's will to save them. I mean, they, they anticipated the possibility that they would be burned alive. And they were still willing to do that because their principles were more important to them than their physical lives. And so uh, it was really amazing. If they had this feeling, you know, that I believe Hebrews reveals that Abraham had when he offered Isaac up, that that God would bring Isaac back from the dead. Mm-hmm. They had this feeling that, you know, this can't be the way my life is going to end it would still be impressive, but they don't even have that. They're saying, you know, God can do this, but if he decides not to do it, that that's his will. We're we're not going to worship your image. Yeah. This is more akin to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane than Abraham on Mount Moriah. All right, it's a
0: really, really powerful example of faith.
1: Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it should cause us to think... But God did have other plans for them. He wasn't ready for them to leave the earth yet. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's filled with fury and uh the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and he ordered the furnace heated 7 times more than it was usually heated. I've always wondered how they measured the temperature. Yeah. So how do you get, you know, it might have just been an expression that they had, but
0: yeah, I've never thought about that.
1: Uh then he ordered some of the mighty men of the army to band uh, to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to him, True, O king. He answered, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods." Very mysterious thing. I'm holding back here, Andrew, because I really think this is segment two type stuff to talk okay. about. Um, and we got to save something for that. So yeah. uh, just the story, the straight-up story is that he saw four men in there. None okay. of them seemed to be hurt. The only people hurt were the men that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the f- Fire can I ask furnace. you a
0: question and you can tell me if you want to save it for the next well, part or not?
1: You know, it's a free country. You can <laughs> can ask anything you want.
0: The furnace itself. What are we, yeah. what are we talking about here? Cuz I've always been kind of confused with the the guards that threw them in were immediately burnt up and died.
1: You know, I to, but then the I other have to three be honest fall with you. Had, in. Was yeah. it like
0: a were they like up on a balcony and they just pushed them over or
1: I just I have no idea. I don't know this
0: It's interesting to try to think about that. Nazi
1: gas chambers and things like that that I've seen pictures of but I wonder how the door
0: opened. You know, like was it something where they could pull a lever from a distance or did they have to pull it open? Where where did
1: the fuel sit? You know, was it was it just there? It it must have been a small room. Yeah. Um I just, I really have no idea.
0: It's mostly speculation, though, right? We don't have a whole lot of...
1: Yeah, I don't even know how to answer that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe they have found things like this. Yeah. I've,
0: I was just curious. I didn't see anything about it in the it's commentaries. A, it's I really don't know if you have. It's
1: probably it. a brick oven or something like a foundry or... um, You know, I was trying to recall... Um, there's a story involving David in a brick kiln, K-I-L-N, hmm. which is probably something like this. And David kind of it seems like he may have done a Nebuchadnezzar in that story. I may look that up for the okay for the next segment. Um, All right, but moving on more to on this to promotion part of it, you know, um, in verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar comes to the door. So there's a door in this thing. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This sounds almost exactly like Daniel 6 with Darius. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar praises God, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. So Nebuchadnezzar he he also understood what we were talking about a minute ago, but he understands it better now that they had Basically, offered up their bodies as a sacrifice. They had not gone in and done this thing where, um, you know, I, this is this isn't going to hurt me. You mm-hmm. know, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you. Like Elijah knew that fire from heaven would come down and consume his his offering yeah. in First Kings eighteen, but they didn't know what was going to happen. And Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that, and so he makes this decree that any people who speak against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins and then he promoted them in the province of Babylon so um, more people die because of the foolishness of a king uh, more promotions for Jewish men in the land of Babylon and so there are some recurring themes in here a lot of questions we're, we're eager to get to, so we're going to take a little break. Now, when we come back, we'll start talking about some of the more mysterious elements of this story. We're back, and uh, Andrew raised a question. I pulled out my archaeological study Bible that was a gift from somebody. It's really nice. It's got some pretty interesting information in it. And it does have a little paragraph about these furnaces uh, that describes what archaeologists have found... Um, You know, evidently, one of the first things humanity learned to do was to refine metals in furnaces. So it wasn't unusual to have them around. And uh, they were... The the kind of furnaces were used for refining metals, um, like copper, silver, lead, and gold. And they were called brick kilns and usually constructed either as circular domes or as taller chimney-like structures.
0: And they've obviously got to be big enough to fit at least four people inside of.
1: Well, this particular one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, One, discovered at Nippur, from approximately 2000 B.C., is fashioned like a railway tunnel. So that would be a really big one, I would think. Yeah. One end blocked and the other serving as an entrance. Kilns were heated with charcoal to extreme temperatures of 900 to 1,000 degrees Celsius.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So that's hot. I don't know how hot that is. Oh, well, they they translate it to Fahrenheit. That's 1652 to 1832
0: Fahrenheit. That's a little bit warmer than you'd like to be.
1: That'll cook assume. your pizza real fast. Yeah. Um. So this kind of punishment's all through the Bible. The Bible prescribes death by burning for prostitution by a priest's daughter, Leviticus 21.9, for certain forms of incest, Leviticus 20.14. It was proposed in the case of Tamar, Genesis 38.24, and actually carried out against Achan and his family in Joshua chapter 7. Uh, The Code of Hammurabi, which is an ancient Babylonian law code, which is relevant to our story, uh, stipulates burning for various crimes. The Assyrian king... Uh, who has a a hard name to pronounce is reported to have burned prisoners alive Jeremiah says Nebuchadnezzar roasted two false prophets in the fire Uh, and I could go on and on and on there are a lot of examples of ancient burnings and even in our own country they would burn witches and uh, religious people were burned at the stake Um, was it Tyndale who was burned?
0: Um, there were a lot
1: of reformers who were burned.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's there's Tyndale or not. I know there were several. Two of the English translators. were burned. One of was drowned. Yeah, they would drown. Who was the guy that was burned?
1: They would drown Baptists. I really
0: hope my church history professor is not listening to this because he'll be really disappointed. Oh, he's not. He's not. <laughs> uh,
1: but that, that's a little information on the question about that. Now, the incident from David's life that I remembered is in Second Samuel chapter 12. And there's a debate over what really happened in this account. But David, you know, was trying to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. And during that time, Joab, his general, sent word to him from Rabbah that he was about to capture the city. And he thought that the king needed to be out there whenever he officially captured the city. So uh, 2 Samuel 12.31 in the King James Version says that David brought the people out that were in Rabbah and put them under saws and under harrows of iron and under axes of iron and made them pass through the brick kiln which is like the term that was used in the archaeological study bible uh, Mm -hmm. describing a furnace where you bake bricks Yeah. Um, now what does it mean that he made them pass through it doesn't sound good Uh, that's the King James rendering the ESV however says he made them toil at the brick kilns he made them make bricks like the Egyptians yeah. made. The Israelites make bricks in the book of Exodus. So, so either
0: way, bottom line, this is a... That code of Hammurabi kind of shows is a common punishment for different types of crimes. Maybe not common necessarily because it didn't say lots of people have been burnt. But uh, often people were thrown into these dome-like or railroad tunnel-like structures mm-hmm. that were, I guess, for what we have to go on, pretty large... Yeah. For the most part.
1: Yeah, and um, they obviously weren't very good at it, because the guys who threw them in died. Yeah, <laughs> maybe this is one of the first but ones. But they had it probably hotter than it had ever been before, maybe. Yeah,
0: seems like it. Well, can I ask you another question now? Yeah, uh,
1: as long as it's not about the Trigon.
0: <laughs> okay, no, I think we've uh, we've talked as much about the Trigons so as anyone would care to hear. like My, to hear one. Myself included. Um. How about the golden image? Do you think this has any relation to what we talked about in our last episode? You might remember uh, this image that was built had a head of gold, and Daniel revealed to Nebuchadnezzar that he was the head of gold. Right. Um, So do you think this has any bearing or any basis in that dream where he said, "Oh, I'm going to build an image like the one I dreamed about, but not only is the head going to be gold – the whole thing's gonna be gold, and it's all gonna be me. Or is it just some random gold image?
1: You know, we just don't know. I. It's interesting that it comes right after Daniel two. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not the same statue, and um, you know there was something that was said here. Uh, so in the in the uh, edict that was. That was um, given by the herald. It, uh, you know, they were to bow down and worship it, and whoever does it will be thrown into it. And um, there was some permanence. King live forever. Verse nine. You've made a decree, and everybody must bow down to you. Um, and you know, the contrast. I'm doing a poor job of it, but the contrast between this statue and the dream statue is that the dream statue is destroyed in the dream. Yeah. And this statue was supposed to represent the king's permanence, that he would live forever. Yeah. Now, whether that was a statue of the image of Marduk, the Babylonian god, or some other gods who would protect him give him this ability, or it was of Nebuchadnezzar himself, which is something easy for me to believe. Yeah. The purpose was to glorify and magnify Nebuchadnezzar.
0: Yeah. And I, I just wonder if there's any... Because back in the last chapter, he says... This is what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar about that image he dreamed about. You... O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior you, inferior to you shall arise, yet a third kingdom of bronze. So he's talking about other kingdoms that will be inferior to his. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this is just kind of a testament to that dream of saying, I am the king
1: well, but you know, there was also an, an after goal. that kingdom, after that, yeah. you know, then this. So he was, even though he did point out that these kingdoms were inferior, mm-hmm. he also added that they would come at the end of the Babylonian kingdom. Yeah. So, and,
0: I mean, I guess there's just not enough to make nah,
1: it. I mean, we're just speculating. Everything we say is speculation. Yeah. Now, been there, been, is there, thing, there is been one thing. There is one thing. In verse 18. Marduk. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, "Say, we will not serve your gods, or worship the golden image that you have set up." It's still vague because it yeah. didn't say the the image is of your god, but they included the gods in with the image.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess still, it doesn't really matter what the image was of anyway. If nah, it did, we would we you know, know it's what it what was. what everybody wonders.
1: Uh, you know, it's just something that's interesting to to talk yeah. about.
0: How about Rayford? the next the question? The big one. Yeah, number three? the
1: even more interesting question. Yeah, yeah,
0: the fourth man in the furnace. Right. What what kind of info do we have? Is this just like a, you know, maybe an angel sent like we had in Daniel 6? Angel of the Lord sent and covered the mouth of the lions. Yeah. Uh, so what's well, what's going on Well, he's not, Daniel?
1: you know, he's described differently than the angel in, in Daniel 6. He is... Like of course these are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. So maybe that's the difference and not the narrator or the Jewish people. But Nebuchadnezzar said he is like a son of the gods. Yeah. So you know, son the Hebrew language and we may be in Aramaic at this point. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think that's until chapter The Hebrew six. language doesn't have a whole lot of adjectives. So if you want yeah. to say that somebody is godlike Godly. You can't, you you know. There's no adjective for that, so they would say "son of," fill in the blank. Like if somebody's encouraging, they would say he's the son of encouragement. If someone is destructive, they would call him the son of perdition or the son of destruction. Mm -hmm. And here, you know, you've got this figure that Nebuchadnezzar can't really understand, and he says, he says something that tells us number one that there was a difference between the fourth man. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, obviously, since they threw three in, but they saw four. You know, he, yeah. he arrived there in a very miraculous way, and there was something physically, you know, um, manifestly different about him. Um, the most common interpretation is that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. Pre-incarnate meaning before the birth of Jesus Christ, before the human flesh Christ. Uh, we know that Jesus. Was around before the world was created, he was the one who created the universe. Uh, he makes that statement in john eight fifty six before Abraham was or Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he yeah. saw it and was glad and he was around during Abraham's time. Uh, one author says this: this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ who also appeared to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, maybe that was God walking in the cool of the day according to this yeah. author. I don't, I don't believe that's the case, but that's what this guy says. Who walked with Enoch, who feasted with Abraham, who wrestled with Jacob, who spoke to Moses in the burning bush, who appeared to Joshua as captain of the Lord's host, who yeah, spent the night one. with Daniel in the lion's den, yeah. and who came to be born in a stable. And there there are other references now i have I've been interested in this phrase, "The Angel of the Lord," which appears I believe first in the story of Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis eighteen yeah. uh, these, these three men come to Abraham, he shows them hospitality, two of them go, one of them stays behind, and all of a sudden Abraham is speaking with the Lord with Yahweh. Yeah, but he didn't say anything about the third man left and God appeared. It just said that the third man, the third angel, we thought, he's called the angel of the Lord and then he's just all of a sudden the Lord. Um yeah. It makes sense that Christ would be in the Old Testament if he existed before the world was created. Yeah. But the Bible doesn't have a way to tell us this or it never comes out and says it for sure. So I don't think we should be as sure of ourselves about this. Yeah, but I I personally believe that's what we're looking at in Daniel three. Yeah, that's I what I was. It's Jesus,
0: I was going to say something about you know just maybe being cautious with the degree. And again, this yes. isn't something I've spent a ton of time and study with, so I almost hesitate to weigh in at all. But just on on the front end, you know, I would say it would seem like you know maybe paul or one of the inspired writers from the new testament would say something about you know this is this was the same yeah, the Christ. same lord who spoke to abraham the yeah. same lord who spoke to you know and i guess in a way jesus did mention that he was you know abraham rejoiced in his day and that before mm-hmm. abraham was i am
1: paul but, called Christ, the rock that water came out of. Yeah. Um, of course, that's mirror, obviously but... a little metaphorical, I would think. Yeah. And then you got this backpedaling in Daniel 4.28 where Nebuchadnezzar says God has sent his angel.
0: Yeah, um, but angel.
1: But that still could Hebrews. be the angel of the Lord.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of a almost... I mean, I guess we're making it to where it's not so generic, but angel, you know, means like messenger yeah so a right so messenger of god it's not know, a real specific been. term yeah i don't a lot think, of
1: people don't understand that
0: yeah when we hear angel we're so conditioned to think you know shiny guy halo wings yes sort of thing but an angel could have been i mean you could have given the it term it was pretty
1: much never that
0: yeah angel could have been the term of any king you know that's
1: the the messenger mm-hmm. but substitute angel for that And over in the New Testament where the Greek word angelos is used, um, sometimes you're reading and you don't even realize you've come across a word that also applies to angel because your translation says messenger. Right. And the context told them that this is just a a male man instead of a heavenly being, a celestial being.
0: But, you know, I do think there's some credence to the fact that Jesus is, you know, around in the Old Testament and could be, You know, especially I think the one for me is the angel of the Lord that appears to Joshua. Um, That's the only one of these I've kind of looked into. Um, And he's
1: called Captain of the Lord's Host?
0: Yeah, that's what makes him, you know, with the stuff in Revelation. Yeah,
1: yeah. but then you got Michael, the archangel, and so there were archangels. It's just, you know, it's fun to talk about, Mm -hmm. but I liked your word, caution, let's be cautious and admit We don't really know.
0: And it's really interesting to think of. It's, you know that Bible series they just did? And again, yes. someone's going to be listening to this 10 years from now and think, the Bible series, what are they talking about? Yeah. But yeah. you know, they recently did it, and they showed Jesus in these Old Testament stories. They did. I saw it. Same actor. We
1: after. just rewatched it. it. Yeah. Um, not the whole thing. We started watching it. And it was Abraham's story where the men come. Yeah, and two of the ain't like the, we were talking about two of the angels. You could see their faces. Yeah, and and the other one, the one that was speaking, was, the, was always had his back to the camera. But it looked yeah. like the actor who played Jesus when they got to the New Testament. Yeah, so they've obviously heard this interpretation, and it's, and it's
0: interesting. It's and
1: pretty orthodox. I don't find many people who say, uh, "How it? dare you say that yeah. that's Jesus?" I mean, anybody who's studied it. Respects that point of view if they haven't taken that as their own point of view well I'm out of questions yeah, for this section I'm out of breath so let's take a <laughs> okay. break and we'll come back and finish this up talk about you know how this applies to our lives today
0: Alright, so as we're in our final section here on application, one question that's been brought up to me a few times about Daniel 3 that I think is really interesting has to do with the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Uh, The question is, or I guess the argument that's been presented to me before is that in our culture, putting your hand over your heart and pledging yourself to the flag is similar to bowing before this idol that we read about in Nebuchadnezzar 3. And before you think, oh, well, that's ridiculous and that's way too far out there and one of the world are these people talking about, just kind of, maybe for the sake of argument, think about um, what exactly it is we do when we pledge allegiance to the flag and what exactly it was Nebuchadnezzar was asking these people to do in Daniel chapter 3. Um, he's asking them really to Probably we think the image is of him, but if it's not, it's of uh, one of the country's patron gods like Marduk or any of the other number of those included in their religion. Um, so basically it's a, you know, for the Jews it's a threat to their whole culture because it's being assimilated into the Babylonian culture, uh, forgetting about the god of so back in this time, the gods were very closely associated with a nation's identity. Right. Yeah, Which okay. is something we think of more when we talk about Greece, you know, the patron gods of each mm-hmm. city. Uh, but gods are very closely associated with the nations. And so even if yeah. it was not of the king, if it was of Marduk, you know, it still kind of that, applies to...
1: That does not apply to America.
0: Okay, well, the question is for America, are we... Are we pledging ourselves to something other than God in a way that we should not? And I'm just bringing up the question here. I'm not.
1: Yeah, I know that's not that's not your. Well, here here's my first response to it. Let's not forget Daniel's attitude throughout this book. Um. So a few examples. Uh, the episode that we talked about last week, Daniel two. When Daniel is given the interpretation of this dream, here's how he begins it. Daniel 2.37 You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Now that is way, in my opinion way beyond the Pledge of Allegiance.
0: Yeah, that's a little Is more. Is it not? Yeah, he just called him the King of Kings. We don't say anywhere in our pledge that...
1: We would never say that. <laughs> yeah. We would never go that far. Yeah, I and, think that's a really
0: good point. And then, I think it's uh, a really good point. So,
1: there's similar language here with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, no, that's not where... I wanted to go to Daniel 4, where, um, you know, Daniel here's this dream, and I'm not going to get into the dream because this is a, an episode next week, but he says as he begins the dream, uh, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Uh, and he says some other deferential things like that as well. And yeah. A lot of that's tradition, but so is the Pledge of Allegiance. And then there's uh, the guy, Darius, that threw, threw Daniel into the lion's den. He goes and checks on Daniel the next day And here's what Daniel says after this guy threw him in a lion's den. He spent the whole night with lions. Verse 21 of Daniel 6, O king, live forever. Live forever. Yeah. You know, so we say a pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And we talk about one nation under God. Yeah. So we, even in the pledge, and I know some people argue that's not part of the original pledge, but it's the one we say now. Yeah. Under we recognize that the nation is subordinate to God in the Pledge. Yeah. And a lot of people, this is interesting because a lot of people who are trying to do away with the Pledge are coming from a totally different end. They're atheists who are offended by the idea that our nation is under God. Yeah. And it's ironic to me that there are people who um, are against pledging allegiance to the flag because they feel like it's a form of idolatry. Yeah. So the atheists don't like it, and neither do the...
0: Some. I would say a small number. It's yeah, not it's, something you hear very often. Well,
1: I had never heard it before.
0: Well, I had just heard it in college, you know. And you it's, know, everybody's like got an opinion about something in college. Yeah,
1: everybody's wanting to... Uh,
0: but I think it's more... I mean, I, I don't think that it's idolatry, but I do think you can... It's I think allegiance, it's, loyalty.
1: Yeah. It's pledging your loyalty, which we do to our spouse in marriage... Yeah. Uh, we are told to be loyal to our government unless the government is asking us to disobey our God, and we had a perfect like example of conscientious yep. objection in in this chapter here.
0: I think it's more, you know, when we talk about this, I think it's a little more appropriate to talk about Philippians chapter three and verse twenty. Uh, Paul's talking to the Philippians who are in, you know, they're fiercely Roman uh, in Philippi, you know the the Sense of patriotism among Romans is probably more so than Americans, or at least on equal. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So Paul, you know, Paul takes the time to say to them, "But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." Um, I think there is, you know, a line to where we got to be sure that we're not more um, loyal to our country than we are to our God. Now, I do think there's some... And I think that's where the whole argument comes from. And certainly, certainly there's some uh credence to the argument of, hey, make sure that you're not pledging allegiance more so to the flag than you pledge allegiance to God himself. So I think that's where it comes from. And if it becomes to the point of where... You know, I'm not going to ever say that you say the Pledge of Allegiance, you're practicing a form of idolatry. But I think that happens more in the way that you... um live your life, you know, the things you do, the decisions you make, are you more in tune to be uh, loyal to your, your government and the decisions they make, or are you more liable to be loyal to your God, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the story?
1: If you refuse to pledge allegiance, is that a Christian thing to do? I mean, you know, I'm thinking of Romans 13... And First uh, Peter two, where we're told to honor the king, yeah, honor the emperor, be subject to the governing authorities. Um, you know, a pledge of allegiance is showing that subjection, that okay. loyalty, that allegiance.
0: I think we just solved it here. If you at if you take out the under God phrase and add only in front of the flag, then I think you can say the pledge of allegiance. But is that's wrong. not
1: what the that's not what the the pledge is though.
0: Right. Yeah. But yeah. I think if they were if somebody were but for it's some not. reason to say See that's it. then I only pledge allegiance range. to yeah. the flag and that's it. Then you can then you can say that's idolatry, because I don't only pledge allegiance to the flag. Yeah. But otherwise no pledging it looks like pledging allegiance to the flag is not well, can we move on to something? Yeah, I want to move more. on, and I'm gonna,
1: okay. I'm gonna insert something I didn't tell you we were gonna talk about, but okay. it just occurred to me that we probably need to talk about it here. Okay, and we have other examples that we'll run across in the podcast. Uh, it's probably gonna be a long time before we come back to this, and that's the subject of conscientious object objectors. Um, being a conscientious objector, and if somebody's not familiar with that idea, think about Martin Luther King Jr., who, um, you know, would in a non-violent way, stand against an unjust law. Yeah. Uh, Gandhi over in India did the same thing. They got that idea from Christ. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego giving a perfect example of what that is. They weren't being violent. They weren't revolutionaries. They just didn't bow down. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, if that's going... And here's a big part of being a conscientious objector. If... Being, being true to my God means I get thrown in jail or a fiery furnace, so be it. Yeah, Give me the punishment. I'll pay the punishment. I'll pay the debt I owe to the country, but I will not bend my convictions. I won't compromise. Yeah. That's a great example of that kind of thing and one that our country needs to look at. That has been, through the years, more powerful than any wars. Yeah any force and we're still not learning that you know right um, you know they shot Martin Luther King Jr. and it only made his his platforms his position stronger right um, yeah. you know I, I would assume that you know back in those days King probably knew he was going to be assassinated yeah. Uh, Gandhi knew his life was in danger. Christ of course knew his life and I'm not equating these men. We all know that Jesus is above all of them. Yep. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what the costs were and they did it anyway, and that's what conscientious objection is all about.
0: Yeah, as a peaceable way to protest. Yeah, know, what, what you think is not right. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think that's a really good thing to point interesting
1: out. Interesting example there.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about. We already mentioned this earlier, so we won't talk about this very long. Just the faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. I think is the proper attitude for us to have. Certainly, when we pray, Um, they said to the king, "You know, our God is able to deliver us, and even if He does not, you know, we're not Mm going to bow down and worship You." Uh, And you said it reminds you of Jesus in the garden. garden. Yeah, where He said, may this cup pass, uh, but nevertheless, My will, Your will be done."
1: You know, how many people are out there who say, I tried prayer, I went through this difficult time, I tried prayer, I tried faith, I wanted to believe, I did believe, and then this horrible thing happened anyway. Yeah. So I'm not going to believe in God anymore. I'm through with God. He, There is no God, because if there had been a God, this horrible thing would not have happened to me. Yeah. That's just not the God that the Bible presents. You know, mm-hmm. The God the Bible presents is a God who could possibly allow something terrible to happen. Right. And we not understand why for years and years and years, but he has yeah. a plan. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a very different attitude. They were like, we're going to put our trust in God. We're going to pray to God that this does not happen. But if it happens, he knows best, whatever his will is, is fine with us. That's Jesus in the garden as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that is a very real, very difficult application for us to take away, to be able to honestly say, you know, Lord, I pray for this, but even if not, you know, my will, but your will be done. I think that's one of the hardest things for us to grapple with, certainly in our prayer lives, of really being okay with what answer we get. You know, a lot of times we pray for someone who is very ill or is diagnosed with, you know, really, um, I'm thinking of very advanced cancer. You know, everyone prays, we make the bracelets, and we, you know, we make the shirts, and we have a fundraiser, and, and the person ends up being healed, and the doctors have no explanation and you know, and we say this is the power of prayer. And you know, in a lot of those cases, uh, you know, prayer definitely has a lot of power. But in just as many of those cases, I feel like you print the shirts, you make the bracelets, and the person doesn't get better. You know,
1: and and look, there's going to be a point in all of our lives where we don't get better. Yeah. And that's and right. every every time somebody gets sick, prayers are going up. At least in this part of the country, on behalf of that person but it is appointed for man once to die. Now that's God's will, and it's the result of sin. It's not the result of His desire. It's the result of sin, and we we live in that world. We don't live in a fantasy world, and so um, terrible things happen, and we don't have all the answers to it. I I may sound a little heartless in what I'm saying, but I, I sympathize with people that have those feelings, and I think those feelings are natural and need to be expressed to a degree, mm-hmm. but I also know that you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing something that a lot of us couldn't do by just standing up and saying, you know, our God can save us, but He may yeah. not, and that's okay with us.
0: That and that's exactly what I'm thinking. If I'm diagnosed with terminal cancer and I say, I know God can save me, but if He doesn't, it's still okay with me. Or you know, maybe not me as much as it would be. You know, a family member. Yeah. You know, it's just it's a it's really if you sit down and you think about it for a while, we can't talk about all the ins and outs, of it here tonight or this afternoon, but it's yeah. profound example of faith. And the last one we want to talk about is um, being brave enough to stand up for God, obviously, even when everyone else around you won't do it. Uh, I wonder though, how many other Jews were there? How many other Jewish people? Yeah,
1: that's a good question.
0: Were in the presence because. You know, sometimes sometimes you're around godly people, you're around Christians and you're in some whatever situation you want to draw up, and there's an opportunity for you to stand up for what you believe in and those people you're with don't do it. You know, and if you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo and there's maybe a hundred other Jews there, I don't know. Maybe there weren't any others there. But if there were any other ones there, they obviously were not they didn't have any problem bowing yeah. down. Yeah. So it's, you know, we always talk about, you know, even though our culture doesn't believe in God, we should believe. But also, we've got to be careful to just because other Christians don't stand up or say yeah. something that we don't either. And we say, oh, well, so-and-so's not saying anything. I don't, I must not need to mm-hmm. either.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you. There had to have been other Jews who were not faithful Mm-hmm. And um Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were singled out. They didn't just stand up, they stood out. Yeah. And you know, like a sore thumb and uh easily detected and they had been like Daniel so blessed that people were jealous of them. Yeah. So they already had a target on their backs. And uh I don't you know, that is the harder harder thing. Oh yeah, I know. I went to you and I went to public high school. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that before, and we may have even had this conversation about how much easier it was to do what was right in the public high school than it was at the Christian college. Yeah, I don't know. I in my case, it, it was because you relax around other Christians, and if you see, it's e- it's easier for a brother to cause a brother to stumble than for a sinner to cause a brother to stumble. I shouldn't use the word sinner, but yeah, yeah, someone that's uh, someone not in Christ, yeah. not not in our spiritual family. To cause. I agree
0: with that a hundred percent because you get lulled, like you said, your guards down. Yeah, you almost get lulled to sleep, and you just assume that you can do what everybody else is doing, and you're fine because right. you're among the Lord's people.
1: I don't, I don't even feel that I was really tempted in high school because yeah. that guard was up. I was in a secure family, secure church. I was at home. Yeah, um, and. The line between good and evil was very bold. Yeah, very easy to see. And then as you get older, you, uh, you—it's—it's it's harder around Christians who aren't doing right.
0: Yeah, and it's like it reminds me. Last week in our teenage class, we were, we started a minor prophets study. And we we're talking about Micah, who you know Micah addressed the corruption in Jerusalem. You know, among the Jews, and we were just talking about how much courage that would take for a prophet to get up. And we talked about this with Jeremiah too, uh, to get up and to say, you know, basically call out all the people that are supposed to be following God and say, "Hey, you guys are supposed to be following God, and you say you follow God, but you don't." Mm-hmm. You know, that's a little different than taking a stand when no one else does, but it's very similar, also, just being able to even among God's people able to stand up and be the first one you know yeah. to say we don't need to do this. Be a so leader.
1: Right. It's about it's a lot about leadership. And yep. uh we you know, we could learn a lot from those those guys. Uh next week we're gonna go back to Daniel. We took a little break from Daniel to check in on his friends. Yeah. And now we're gonna go see people abuse Daniel some more. So uh yep. We'll, we'll get into Daniel chapter 4 next week. If you are bored between episodes and you want something to do, go over to our Facebook page, like it, leave a comment, go to the Twitter feed, uh, the66podcast is our handle. Go to the website, catch up on the archives, maybe there's some episodes that you've missed. Subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, which is very easy to do if you have an iPhone leave us a review or a rating. Uh, That would really be helpful to get us up in the rankings. We want people to find out about us and uh, you can really help us out in that. So thanks for listening as always and we'll see you next time.